this, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebounding Safety. Today, we're going to do another episode of Rebounding Safety Reacts. I've picked out two news stories which piqued my interest, and we're going to read them out, pick out some points that I that I found interesting, and um, I'm going to waffle on with some thoughts. Let's jump into the intro, and we'll get right into it. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk What's up, people? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is a YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin. So if you're new here, hit subscribe and then the bell and all of those musical algorithm thingamajiggies. My name's James McPherson. I'm your host. I'm the managing director and founder of Risk Fluent, which is the consultancy that sits behind rebranding safety. Let's jump into our first news story then. I thought I would take one kind of technical news story and one kind of cultural news story. So we've got technical is uh, fire safety related, um, very kind of prominent at the moment, has been for a very long time, but it kind of has its, its uh, peaks and, and flats in a way. It kind of goes really mad in the news for a bit and we're talking all about fire and then it goes quiet for a bit um, and obviously that's uh, kind of directly related to the inquiry off the back of Grenfell. So I thought I'd pick one uh, which is from... I don't know where I got this from actually. Oh well, not, re- not relevant. Um, from the internet. <laughs> um, one in four unsafe London buildings have non-cladding related fire safety issues. There's a reason I want to talk about this and... Um, I will allude to that in a moment. And then the other news story was from EHS Today. Starbucks to close stores over safety concerns, which I thought was very interesting. That's from July 20, um, July 13, 13th for July 2022. And so is the fire one as well. So not too old, not too old. But these piqued my interest and I want to talk about them. Apologies if you can hear a in the background. I have like a neighbour who's kind of like his house at the side is sidewards onto the back of our house, if that makes sense. Like, if you imagine, like, we're on a corner, so, like, he's on that street, we're on this street, he's on... And you can't see this if you're listening to the podcast. Like, we're on one street, he's on the other street, so his house kind of goes along the back of our garden. And I don't know what the fuck he does, right? But he basically collects wood. And then all day, every day, he just goes out, gets a bit of wood, oh... Just uh, coming out, get a bit of wood. Yep, oh, this nice bit of wood. Takes it into his garage or into his workbench, which is literally off the back of my office here. And he hammers it and he cuts it. And just sometimes it's all day of like a freaking circular saw. All fucking day. And he's on one today. He's gone quiet now, but he's doing it again today. Today with a hammer, apparently. It's like fucking living with a woodpecker. Right, anyway, enough about my living situation and my annoying neighbours. Let's um, crack on with the first news story. I'm going to start off with the technical one. We're going to so we dive straight into the fire-related news story. There's a reason why this picked my piqued my interest. Um, one in four unsafe London buildings have non-cladded related fire safety issues. This for me really got my attention because I. F- I understand this is a really sensitive space um, and, and it's sensitive for the right reasons, right? We've lost a lot of lives in, in a house, which if you were to, to try and define safe, what would you think? You'd think home, right? Like everyone thinks home. And, that, and I think that's the thing that makes it, makes Grenfell for me, like it just hits me in like, Right in the feels, man. Like it really. The second I start talking about it, I can feel like in you know when you feel in your head like mm, this is an emotional issue. We've got to be got to get off this topic before <laughs> before you get too emotional. Like that is is it's like I think that's the one big thing for me. The the second big thing is obviously I've worked in in fire in and around the time that it happened and 
I think I think many of us that were any good at our job and fire kind of knew something was going to happen. I'm not going to say we all said cladding was going to be an issue, um, but we all knew something was going to happen. We all knew the state of fire safety and risk management uh, in the UK in buildings was particularly horrendous. So, yeah, it, it really hits home. So anything with Grenfell kind of piques my interest, but this particularly piqued my interest because... We, we seem to have just focused on the cladding and the cladding alone, right? And I understand the whole kind of scandal around the cladding and the subsequent scandals off the back of the cladding are absolutely horrific. And, you know, I'd like to say we shouldn't have that in this world, but, you know, that's what it is. Um, oh, shit, left a hose in the paddling pool. Don't tell Anglian Water because we'll be ruining their profit margin. I'll just tell Sherry to keep an eye on the hose. Shit, shit, shit. Oh. oh, right. Sorry about that. We 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 didn't use a we didn't use a hose pipe. We were manually filling up the paddling pool with um cups. Mm, yeah, that's what we were doing. We'd set up a line of cups from the tap. <laughs> anyway, so. I picked this set of breath now, I'm running around, getting a fucking paddling pool. <sighs> so, this piqued my interest mainly because of the non-cladding related fire issues, right? God, it's hot. I think one of the things that's kind of, I don't know, where, I, don't, I can't find a suitable word because the cladding issue is a, is a, like I've said before, right? It's a... It's a horrendous scandal. It's a it's a gap in a very complex legislation, very complex industry, and it's an issue that we need to deal with, right? It, it turned a pretty bad fire into a horrific, catastrophic fire, right? So it's it. Whatever I say next, basically, what I'm trying to say, whatever I say next, is it doesn't devalue the importance of fixing the cladding issue. But I do think that it has completely drowned out all of the other fire-related issues in the industry because we're just focused on cladding. Now, I don't, I'm not saying the inquiry has, you know, there's lots of other stuff that's come out, but it, the media, the, the general populace, the fire safety profession, the safety profession, the insurance industry, the banking industry, all of these people that are, you know, when I went to housing... I had, a, I had a, in our patch, had a young, a young woman, she'd, she'd, um, she, she, I think she'd split up from a miss from a fella or whatever, and, um, and basically she was kind of stuck in this flat that she couldn't really afford to pay anymore, so she needed to sell and downgrade, she was a leaseholder, she needed to sell and downgrade because she couldn't afford to pay it, um, but she couldn't sell the house because there was, um, there was unknown cladding. We, we couldn't find out what, what the type of cladding was that was on the building. So we, as a, as a building owner, needed to, to get some tests done or whatever, get this engineer out. Uh, we couldn't find the old building records, obviously. And, um, yeah, we had this whole kind of just rigmarole of trying to get out. And then it was confirmed that it was... Um, not not the first type, the ACM cladding. It was the second type that was raised up as an issue, which I can't remember what that was called. Um, and that was it. They wouldn't they wouldn't give like a mortgage on this on this property to anyone else. So she couldn't she she was like trapped there. She was trapped in a place she couldn't she couldn't afford. It was it was just I don't know. Like you wouldn't. I just I just don't know. I don't know. It, it, for me, it was just like, yes, yes, it's a big issue. And yes, the cladding needs to be fixed. And 100% that the building owner should just do it, right? But like, I also understand that you're, f you're saying that you won't mortgage the building because it's unsafe, but you're happy to continue with the mortgage of the existing or some bank, maybe the same bank, maybe not. It's happy to continue forcing that person to live in the building it just it just had no logic anyway I, can put, I digress right so it didn't look at the building holistically in my opinion uh, again cladding is a big issue but the fire got from the flat to the cladding and then it it also hindered escaping the staircase there was there was record reports of smoke in the staircase within like a really early period of time you know the the fire had completely and 
engulfed the building on the outside but additionally the smoke penetration and the fire spread within the inside the property based off the early reports that I've read early it's fucking years ago but like based off the reports that I've read and obviously the inquiry will give us more information has given us more information um but there was a myriad of issues within that property that no one seems to want to talk about. There's a huge issue within the housing sector on who owns the fucking front fire door. Nobody wants to address that. I know I know there has been conversations about it. I know that I know that there are a lot of people in the fire profession that are arguing to to talk about this stuff, but it's just nothing. Nothing's changing. Nothing's improving. Nothing's changing. It's everyone's waiting around to be told what to do instead of just doing what, what I think they should, which is effective risk management, right? Anyway, I haven't even read the fucking article yet. I just went on a proper waffle there, didn't I? So that's what we got from the headline. <laughs> God knows what we'll get from the rest of it. So let me just read out a couple of bits I've highlighted just to set the tone. Uh, one in four buildings, which is 28% in London, have had stay put advice suspended and have been flagged up by the London Fire Brigade for fire safety defects other than unsafe cladding. Now, I was in a PM call, Project Millennium call, and, um, and Perry, uh, one of our members, asked a really, really interesting question. Is... Stay put safe. And I, when put on the, I mean, that's why these like real blunt, like everyone says, well, don't ask closed questions. Don't ask closed questions. I ask closed, closed questions all the time in workshops, all the time. I purposely ask really hard questions like that, that are yes or no. But then we can ask people to define or justify their answer. And I think that's much more powerful than just asking us to describe something. Anyway, th there are the right question for right situations. And we're not we're not talking about that. But what a great closed question that is, right? Is it safe or unsafe? Because now we get into the conversation around accidents and more precisely the more specifically the absence of an accident is means it's safe right so would we have said is cladding an issue prior to Grenfell who would have said yes I mean to be honest I went years of training years of mentoring years of doing fire assessments and no one really said to me oh you need to really think about the cladding there was, it was not a prominent conversation at all in some places um if I'd have said to you two months ago, is it, is it safe to sit on the front row of the velodrome at the Commonwealth Games to watch the cycling? You'd have said, yeah, of course it is. If I asked you now, you'd probably say, fuck no. Did you see last week or whatever it was, that bike crashed and then went over the barrier and hit that kid in the face and the parent in the face or whatever it was. You, it is, it, this, is, this is the basis of the, the presence of or the absence of accidents doesn't mean the presence of safety. And I think that, in a nutshell, is what Eric was trying to say all those years ago when he wrote his book and now continues to do his work around safety one and safety two kind of work. But ultimately, I think that's what we're trying to say. So Perry asking that question was a phenomenal question and it really got my brain going and, and it was it was fucking months ago and I'm still thinking about it now, right? And and actually my answer is on paper, stay put is is a phenomenally safe um and simple theory. Would it be a theory? Yeah. In in theory, it is safe. In theory. But it in Reality, it's held up by... A it's a simple concept held up by a very complex concept. Therefore, it's prominent to fail, in, in my opinion. If you were to think about it like... Complexity meaning that it we, we can't see the interactions, we can't see that kind of cause and effect. If you do this and I do this, the architect makes this decision, we can't see the later on impact or the, the house builder, flat builder makes this decision, we can't really see the direct impact and it might cause a lot of kind of latent conditions. But in theory, it's a, it's a simple system. It's that we, we restrict fire and we create 60 minute blocks and the fire service will be there within on average now it's about 20 minutes i think 20 25 minutes uh, across the nation 
and you can evacuate and everyone else will be fine. We'll extinguish the fire, done. It's a very simple ideology, but it's also complex. There's a great clip if you watch the film, uh, not the film, the TV show Expanse, where the guy's talking about, like, they're in space, basically, and the guy's talking about the agricultural kind of setup that they have in there and he says it's a simple complex system which I'll tell you what let me let me get it because it's really good let me google it I need like an assistant that Joe Rogan has you know what I mean like yeah yo yo Joe just uh, get that up we'll we'll have a look yeah I'll get it up for you now right yeah that's what I need that's a great that's a great uh, American access the expanse simple complex system the episode's called Cascade, uh, which is also epic. I love this shit, as you can tell. And I, I think this, yeah, here we go. I think this perfectly, for me anyway, I mean, academics might say, no, you're way off base. But for me, I think this describes uh, compartmentation and stay put. It's a simple, complex system. That's the technical name for it. Because it's simple, it's prone to cascades. And because it's complex, you can't predict what's going to fail or how. It's com computationally impossible. So it's a simple, complex system. Because it's simple, it's prone to cascades. Because it's complex, you can't predict what's going to fail or how. It's impossible. For me, I think that's stay put, right? Which is nice that we're finally starting to talk about all those dominoes in those cascades, all those dominoes that collect all the, the house of cards, if you will, like all of the cards that, that hold the top card up that are simple but prone to, if one fails, they'll just go da 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 da, -da and all fail, right? So it's nice that we're starting to talk about it. So that that pricked my, my ears up. So I... I to Perry's question, and I think I said this in the call, I think in theory it makes sense and in theory they should be perfectly safe buildings. And I have said that through the through the podcast many times, you know, and, and in webinars, in customers with conversation with customers and so on. It is a safe concept, but it takes a lot, a lot of people in a big complex process to do the right thing, which rarely happens. So, Anne Clark revealed that as of July, oh, sorry, as of June, 305 out of one, 305 out of 199 buildings in London placed under simultaneous evacuation were categorised as having other fire safety issues. Miss Clark said that this data is a reminder of the sheer scale of the building safety crisis and has called upon the government to ensure financial protections are in place for people living in unsafe buildings of all sizes. I like that she put of all sizes here because that's one of my other annoyances is that we are focused on high-rise buildings and in my in my experience the biggest issue would be care and supported living premises that are in massive buildings but they're only two or three stories high and one of my biggest problem buildings i had when i was in housing was a four-story building so it didn't come under all of these big changes or anything like that it didn't fall in the scope or didn't get focused on because of the because it was like a low rise, basically. Didn't get any attention. Didn't get any funding. Didn't get any attention. It had shitloads of problems with it. Shitloads of problems. It had been left to rot, basically. And we had we had people in there that, that wouldn't be able to evacuate on their own. We'd actually also built a brand new supported living accommodation, which was beautiful. And we remember being invited, me and another fire... He was actually a fire engineer, more more so, and he was like my boss when it comes to fire. We went to his property, and that's a simple question: Can everyone in this building self evacuate? No, they can't. Okay, are they? Uh, are you allocating enough staff to for them to evacuate? Oh no, it's um, it's uh, what's it called? Independent living, but it's supported. Yep, and they can't evacuate. And oh no, we've got high, medium, and low needs care in the building. Right, so, but what happens to the fire? Well, it's stay put, isn't it? Well, well, yes, but what if it's in their, their accommodation? Well, they'll, they'll have to evacuate. Yeah, but you just told me they can't. So what are you telling me, James? This building's not suitable for people who can't self-evacuate? Yeah. And then I got told off for, um, what did I say? Got told, oh, I got told off for being discriminatory. Huh? I got told off 
This is why I don't work for people anymore. I got told off for discriminating against people that have worked really hard to remain living independent. And I was being like, I was saying that they, they sh they're, they're not independent. And it was like offensive because they've worked so hard to remain independent. I'm like, I'm not saying that. I asked a simple question. Can they self-evacuate? Can they evacuate on their own? And the answer from the specialist was no. Therefore, I did my job and say, well, they need support then to evacuate. It's called supported living. So if that's part of things that they need support with, then we need to do that. Otherwise, they're not suitable to live in that property if we're not willing to provide that. So it's a decision. They're not suitable to the property or we need to do more. We weren't willing to do more, but yet it was thrown back at me because I was apparently being discriminative. But actually, in my opinion, it was a company that wasn't willing to invest to be able to evacuate that person and didn't want to take on a responsibility of that. Basically, just wanted the profit off it. Anyway, that was um, that was a rant. So I've got to put this soapbox away. I shouldn't really talk about fire stuff. Another, another point here, um, many buildings under simultaneous evacuation policy will require a waking watch, which involves a trained fire safety officer continually pr patrolling the internal communal areas and the external perimeter of the premises. So what this basically means, for those of you that don't know, is that... Where you go from a stay-put designed building over to a simultaneous evacuation in a building that's designed for stay-put, the alarm, the detection system, the design of everything, it, it, it's not designed for a mass evacuation of the property. So basically, you don't have detection. Well, you might have in newer ones, but a lot of the time, you don't have detection in the communal space because you don't want to create a mass evacuation because the staircase and the building is not designed for say like a hundred and something building to all evacuate at the same time so you actually don't have it and if you do have it a lot of the time you, they get switched off or whatever what you have is uh, detection and smoke alarms domestic style stuff within the property uh, the, the individual property within the flat and then the detector fire in that flat they know there's a fire they call the fire service and they evacuate right Fire service turn up, they, they extinguish that pro property, uh, the fire in that property, and done. Um, that's, that's fine, right? But we never really seem to ask the question, which has come up a lot of the time, what happens if we can't get that fire under control, right? How do we mass evacuate a property? Which is a really hard question to answer because the property is not designed for it in any way, shape or form. So short of the fire service going around and knocking on every door, we've got a retrofit something. And there are some amazing retrofit examples in that one in particular comes to mind. Uh, I think it's called Evac Stair. Evac Stair. Let me Google it. Um, which it's surprisingly simple, right? It's being described as the guy that put wheels on the suitcase that said... Um, you know, everyone was like, mm, we don't need that, but now it's just like part of a suitcase, right? Um, no, that's giving me a vac chair. Um, oh, what's it called? A vac stack, that's it. A vac stack? Yes. Evac stack. Google it, especially if you work in housing, um, relatively high-rise buildings, and you're managing fire safety. It's basically a steel... I think it's steel. I'm no engineer. Basically, a staircase attached to the side of the building. So you drill a big fucking hole in the wall, and then you slot this thing on, and it's like, boom, there you go. Granted, there's a space issue. It's going to take up quite a lot of space, but ultimately, what a phenomenal, uh, phenomenally simple solution. Uh, let's just stick a staircase on the outside. It's completely enclosed. It's completely enclosed. I've, I've been in them. They're, they're beautiful. It's an amazing bit of engineering, and it's amazingly simple. Um, just, yeah, phenomenal piece of kit. Um, so nice bits of innovation. All of that costs money, obviously, uh, to, to the point here about uh, the government stepping in and investing. I think for things like this, a lot of property owners are not going to have the money for it. And if they do, they're not going to want to sacrifice their villa or their their yacht to do it because that's the kind of world we live in. Um, so they'll want investment from the government uh, or incentive from the government to do this. And and so far, the government, again, coming back to this article, the government has so far announced that uh, 62 million of funding to pay for fire alarms in buildings of all height across the country with a waking watch in place. However, Ms. Clark has continued to raise concerns that it still won't be enough to cover the scale of demand in London alone. So they've done that across the country. Um, and Ms. Clark saying that that won't even work uh, for London, let alone the rest of the country. 
again as well, like for for me, it's it's putting in fire alarms. Okay, great, but you know, there's a whole mass of question. I mean, I, I need an engineer really to answer this question, but I haven't ever really done um, calculations on a on a, like a central scare, staircase of a block of flats um, for that whole building to mass evacuate because you never you never wanted it to, right? You always kind of tried to design the building to complement what it was originally designed for or maintain the building to what it was originally designed for. Um, so you wanted to focus on the compartmentation and ignition sources, security, so on and so forth. You wouldn't, I've never done um, calcula calculations for evacuation, for a mass evacuation in that staircase. So interesting, if anyone has, I'd like to know. There's a lot more people that have, I've had a bit of a break from fire until we've gone consultancy, we're getting back into it now. Um, so if anyone has done some some of the, that kind of, got an answer to that solution, you know, a massive block of flats all evacuating at the same time seems like a freaking nightmare to me. Um, I'm not sure it'll work, but I'd like somebody to um, I'd like somebody to kind of come in on that. If you want to talk about it, you can come on the podcast, can't you? Be great. Um, former Secretary of State for Department of Living Up Housing uh, and Committees, Michael Gove, oh, here we go, uh, announced that developers followed by um, that developers followed by building owners and landlord will be the first in line to pay for non-clad in historical safety defects rather than leaseholders. These protections only apply to buildings over 11 metres or five storeys high. This, for me, is... It's just... This was, this was one of the reasons I left the housing industry, because I started to agree with Michael Gove. <laughs> I... I think he's right. If you you own the build, this was always an annoyance for me. It never came up in my time, um, predominantly with cladding. It was predominantly actually with fire doors and compartmentation, where we'd have a block of flats and the doors are just shy, old, over the years, haven't been maintained, whatever. You'd have the communal fire doors as well that were shy. And if it was a leasehold block, and sometimes even not if it was a leasehold block. If it was a leasehold block, we would say leaseholders have got to pay for that. Now, there's two issues here. Well, there's, there's a lot of issues here, right? One issue here was, well, that's just not going to fucking happen, is it? The other issue is, I think the landlord should just make very clear that we own the front door. That, that we own the front door is a part of a shared com compartmentation system. So for me, it was just, it was always fucking stupid that the homeowner owned that front door. Like, whose fucking idea was that? So stupid. Oh, yeah, but everyone wants to change their front doors. Well, here's an idea. Here's an idea. How about don't put the cheapest, ugliest, nastiest fucking piece of shit front fire door on the front of their flat? And they might, they might not want to fucking change it, dickheads. Like, the, the lack of thought, this, this drive, again, for the bottom line, which is what Dame Judith Hackett said in her in her um, inquiry or whatever it was called, it, everything was a race to the bottom. And again, it's a race to the bottom just biting us in the arse. And then we go, ah, oh, the leaseholders have to pay. Well, yeah, because of your cheap-ass, shitty fucking building that you've chose not to maintain correctly over the years. And, and then some of you might be like, well, you know, to be fair, if the leaseholder owns the door, they have to look after it. Yeah, they do. And we should have... We dealt with that when we had them in the building, put in a tenancy agreement, we own the front fucking door, like it or lump it, that's how it is. Don't like it, fuck off. The second issue is we have not maintained buildings at all within the UK for fucking years. The amount of them are horrendously, horrendously just... Well, what am I trying to say? Horrendously maintained? That doesn't... They're in a horrendous condition, all of them. I, I don't think I managed one property where I went into and went, yeah, it's good condition, this. Nice. Not one. Even the new ones were shite. It's just horrendous. So, th in my opinion, they should fund up the cost. So, housing associations, landlords, particularly private building landlords... And the construction company that might have designed it shite in the first place should front up the cost, in my opinion. Now, here's an interesting dilemma for this. If you have, if you're a building seller, if you, let's say you're a housing association, right, which is my background. If you're a housing association that has both rented and leased stock, leaseholder stock, 
if the land, if the housing association pays for renovations, urgent fire safety, anything doesn't matter. But any renovations on a leasehold block, it's the rented stock subsidising the lease stock. Yeah, because the service charge only pays for the bare minimum of the service charge. There might be some, there might be some profit margin in there. There's a profit margin in everything, so I'm pretty sure there is a profit margin in there, right? But the service charge pays for what it pays for, right? The rented stock continue paying with a profit margin on the top. So at the lease block, you get a one-off lump sum payment to buy the, the plot, right? Then you get the service charge, the service charge checks over. The service charge is not enough to pay for full renovations of fire doors, cladding, etc. So the money generated from the rented stock has to therefore pay for the leasehold if you're a housing association that's both rented and leased stock, right? So therefore, it now becomes a social, politi social political issue because it would look like rented stock is subsidising lease stock, which then becomes a class issue because typically most of us that live in rented stock are of a lower class, not, not lower class, but we're of a mid to... We're not upper class. We're not leasing a, a freaking apartment in the centre of London, right? But if you're renting in the centre of London... And your price, your money, your rented stock is is getting a brand new fire door for the lease stock. It's literally like working class f subsidising upper middle to upper class. And I remember being told that or having that conversation and being like, "Fuck, we're screwed. We're screwed. Like, how can you solve that problem? That is unbelievable. It makes sense." But ultimately, if we'd have built the buildings in, in well in the first place, if we hadn't had this race to the bottom in the first place, if we had competent fire engineers, competent fire assessors, competent builders that aren't forced to just build the cheapest shit as quick as possible, and then we didn't have legislation that's so fucking complex that everyone can just find holes in it every, all the time. And then finally, if as a nation we were a little bit more fucking ethical in that we were a bit more people-centred and we were asking, is the, building um, is the building safe as opposed to is the building compliant, which in theory compliance should deliver safety, but in building and fire it's very complex. So let's just go, is the building safe? Maybe we'd have done a lot better job and we wouldn't be in this fucking shitstorm we're in now. So finally, let's just uh, take one last thing from... Uh, Miss Clark, uh, London, L Labour's London Assembly Fire and Resilience spokesperson Anne Clark said, these figures are a reminder that the building safety crisis we are facing today is not just about dangerous cladding, but many other issues and historical defects that need to be urgently addressed. I'm pleased that after a lot of delay, the government has finally woken up to this reality and put onus on upon developers and building owners to cover the cost of, of all forms of remediation. My concern is that there are still scenarios where London's leaseholders could be liable for these exorbitant costs. The new Secretary of State must now close an existing, close any existing loopholders, and this includes ensuring that financial protections are in place for people living in unsafe buildings of all sizes. Five years on from Grenfell tragedy, we are still in the process of trying to understand the sheer scale of the crisis. This is why it's vital for London Fire Brigade receives proper funding from the government to ensure it can recruit and retain enough inspecting officers in its rank and there for me we hit the nail on the fucking head just to finish it off if we hadn't just took mass amount of cuts from the fire service where they had to rein back on their op operation and put all the onus of managing fire safety and being effective in that management of fire safety on the person that is conflicted e.g they want to make profit we wouldn't have had this issue if we had to have buildings being inspected through the process of design and construction by a separate third party body, not a body that is conflicted, e.g. they make profit off of what that decision, be that a third party inspector or the builder and the architect themselves. If we'd have kept it to fire safety certificates, if we had enough uh, inspectors, maybe, just maybe, we wouldn't be in this position now. Moving swiftly on, because this is turning into a very long podcast. The next story that pricked my ears was Starbucks to close stores over safety concerns. 
this is a positive story. Uh, I like it. There are some things in here that I'm a bit like, but ultimately, I think there's a lot we can take from this. I do think there's a lot we can take from this. The skeptic in me says, uh, is this just really like, um, is this just a bit like um, a branding game, like looking good, which has actually made me coin a term recently, but I'm not going to mention it here. I might mention it here, but I'm going to try not to mention it in here because I want to do a podcast. I want to do a video on it, actually. I want to do a video, and I'm excited about it because I think it's fucking awesome. Anyway, let's crack on. First highlighted post is obviously the... um, the headline (laughs) but next we have executives acknowledge workplace safety challenges and what the coffee chain must do to protect workers against potential workplace violent incidents violence incidents sorry from customers and the communities they operate in so the risk here we're talking about is violence in the workplace and as the world becomes more and more toxic and more and more aggressive, I, I think it's nice that they've acknowledged that. Um, nice that they've seen it and been able to go, mm, actually, um, we're, we're in trouble. I reckon it's probably because of an increase in accidents, but we'll wait and see. Um, it doesn't actually, in this article, I don't think, touch on on why or how they picked it up. I think it mentions, I'll come, I'll come to it in a minute. I think it mentions an employee survey, uh, actually. Let, let's go through it. because I've got quite a lot of notes on this one. So, uh, Starbucks is the world's largest coffee house chain, which I found their coffee is very bitter of late. I used to quite like Starbucks coffee, and I didn't like Costa. But I found both Costa and Starbucks are a bit shit. But anyway, it's not a coffee podcast. So, Starbucks, the world's largest coffee house chain, announced it would close 16 of its more than 15,000 stores in the US later this month because of safety concerns. It, it just, I don't know, I might be a skeptic, I'm just a grumpy old man, I think, but it just feels to me more like a brand game uh, and, and, oh, look how ethical we are as a company. Um, we, look, we care for our people more than it is actual effective and people-centered risk management. Wait, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. In a letter to employees dated July 11th, Starbucks executives write the decision and others are the result of listening to employees' challenges and concerns. You're also seeing firsthand the challenges of facing our community's personal safety, racism, lack of access to healthcare, and growing mental health crisis, rising, rising drug use, and more. Uh, that was written by Debbie Stroud and Denise Nelson, the senior VPs of US operations. So as an acknowledgement here that they're basically said that they're listening to employee feedback. I like that. That's really nice. Good that they're that they're um, they're listening. I think that's good. They're listening and they're, they're doing something about it. I think half of the problem with with employee feedback employee survey you know when we when we work with customers and we say like you know you, get off the boardroom you know that platitude we all talk about you know safety is about getting off your ass out of the boardroom get on the shop floor yeah like yeah that's really good but there's a lot more to it right you've got to listen you've got to have empathy you've got to actually respond to that and if you don't respond you need to disclose why so disclosure is a phenomenal um, tool if you're not doing something, you need to disclose why, and then you need to understand that they might be frustrated. So as, as an example, right, we're trying to apply a lot of these uh, approaches that we've learned from behavioral science, human performance, human factors into parenthood, right? And it's not going well. <laughs> it, it, it's like for us, as a parent, you say no to the child, you can't do something. And that child cries and paddies, right? And it's really frustrated. And you're like, stop crying. You can't have everything. Stop crying. It's, it's understanding that person, that child is allowed to be frustrated. They're allowed to be upset because they're not getting what they want. And they need to, we need to make that emotion acceptable. Like you're allowed to be upset, but I have to draw boundaries. You've had 27 chocolate bars today. You're not having another one. So you draw the line. It's the same with employees. Well, I'm not saying employees are children. Don't fucking jump down my throat there. What I'm saying is the same. If you're drawing the line and saying we can't do something and the other person wants to do that, don't expect them to be really fucking happy about it. They're going to feed back and say, I don't agree. And you need to be mature enough to be able to take that response and accept that they're going to be frustrated with it. So... 
when we come to that platitude of you know safety or risk management or whatever being people saying it's all about listening to employee get on the shop floor which I've said many times uh, on the podcast is there's more than that that's just a platitude um, if you're not listening to them if you're not doing something with that information if you're not feeding back to them or you're having to not do something and not disclosing it then then all of it is just pointless well done you've got off the shop floor yeah it's just a uh, Oh, I'm so close to saying the thing I want to say, but I'm going to do a video about it, so I'm not going to do it. So we move on to the next, um, the next thing, the next post thing, Majiggy. The next highlighted thing. There we go. It says here we read every incident file, every incident report you file. It's a lot. It says here. So that's from the same people, Debbie Shroud and Denise Nelson. We read every report you file. It's a lot. I don't know. But I think that's bollocks. I mean, I'm really sorry, but I don't think that's true. I, I don't think Debbie Stroud and Denise Nelson, the senior vice presidents of the world's largest coffee house chain, are sitting on their fucking yacht reading every fucking incident file. I don't think they do. I think very much that's a royal we. That's that's all of our team of 600 people read it, in which case that just gets diluted and diluted and diluted. So I don't, I don't think that, I don't think they do. I, I think that's a purposely, it's a royal way. And I think they're trying to make it sound like they read it and they fucking don't. Uh, I'm telling you that now. Um, and then they put, it's a lot. I, I just, for me, this is there's something wrong that you're having to say that. It's a lot. Like, US is a big space, so you're going to have a lot of incidents. Um, but if that is, is that you saying like you're reporting a lot of shit, or is that you saying we're shit as a company and not managing safety? I mean, it's a fucking coffee shop. So I, I just don't know what they meant by that. Sometimes I just think sometimes less is more. So moving on then, holding safe. So this is basically they, 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 they're talking about a letter now, so I haven't read the full letter. I couldn't be asked. Um, I let EHS today do it for me. Um, so basically, there's a letter um, that basically lists everything they're going to do in this in this letter, um, and and this includes and there's some things that on here. Um, first bullet point from EHS today, holding safety training for employees, including how to de-escalate a situation, active shooter training, mental health first aid trainings as well. I mean, this might be me being really picky, but I thought it was really interesting that EHS today chose this as their first bullet point to pick out. I thought that was really interesting. And not in a good way. I thought it was interesting that the first bullet point on here is about training the employee. I just I just think like fucking hell, this is the first thing this is all we've got, is it? Like, oh we're just gonna retrain you because you're clearly not good enough. Now, there are points in the rest of the bullet points that do a bit more kind of actual redesign and stuff like that, but I just just thought it was a bit near that that was a bit a bit frustrating that that's the first thing we had on the list um i'm not saying i'm not saying train training is not important i'm not saying it's not but training is just one part of of competency right it's competency if we were going to take the old skate or kate or whatever it's uh, knowledge attitude training experience right or skate which is skills knowledge attitude training experience then training is only one of those. So where are you getting all the others? So attitude, how are you going to work on their attitude uh, towards this? How are you going to work on, how are you going to work on their actual skills of de-escalating? Because the training is only one thing. You know, are you going to drill? For me, for these types of things, active fucking shooters, I mean, I'm in the UK and I have been my entire life. So active shooter to me still sounds fucking crazy having to deal with this. Um, but let, let's just move that one aside and call it emergency situation so we don't get internationally political. In an emergency situation, a drill, for me, is something that happens a lot. Like, if we're going to take a high-performing team, which are people that actually effectively deal with really dynamic or and or emergency situations, such as a fire service, such as armed forces, police service, they're drilling, they're practicing a lot, or they're in these situations a lot. 
emergency situations in the workplace are dealt with, it won't happen to us. Let's just do one fire drill, one emergency drill a year. Like, one, why are we calling them fire drills? Why are we not calling them emergency drills? And why are we not doing different types? What do we do? One a year for fire, and then halfway through the year, we do another one for uh, a mass flooding, an explosion, something like that. You know, in America, an active shooter. You know, it's drilling it and drilling it effectively. So not how we do fire drills in England. Ring, ring, everybody go out. Oh, you would do slow, Barbara. I mean, like actually trying to get people's adrenaline going, get it complex. Not, and I don't mean locking some of the doors or hiding people like fucking dickhead safety peoples do. But like, I should have put an explicit one at the beginning of this, shouldn't I? I mean, like. There was a great local brewery to me that did some phenomenal work where they had a big incident and then afterwards they did an amazing bit of work where they paid like a company to do like of actors, get actors in and they recreate, they did like a military style drill um, and I thought that was phenomenal. That's a proper drill for me. Um, so a couple of things there that I'm a bit grumpy with uh, but ultimately... Ultimately, it's nice that you're upskilling people. I thought it was really interesting, actually. This reminded me of a story um, where it says about de-escalation. Remind me of a story. Me and Sherry used to go to London quite a lot before we had a kid and we actually had some spare money. And um, we, I remember we were in Body Shop one day. I think Sherry was looking for some kind of soap or whatever. Obviously, I don't know why that was relevant to the story. Maybe I was looking for some soap. Maybe I was. I quite am partial to a nice, pungent soap. Um... So we're in the shop, and as we're in the shop, we're, like, here, and the door is, like, just to our right. And this guy walks in, and literally, very nonchalant, very, like, just ballsy, gets his bag, shoves a load of products in his bag, fucking walks off. And I was like, what? And we went to the two, and they were basically like, oh, we, we just don't engage. The company made a decision that it's easier to let them rob a couple of products than it is, or cheaper maybe, to let them rob a couple of products than it is for them to fight it, chase it, put your employees at risk. Really clear, heuristic kind of rule set, boom, dealt with it. I thought that was really phenomenal, actually. It was really early on in my safety career, and I remember thinking, oh, that's interesting. And I still remember that today. Um, let's move on. Another thing they've put on here is uh, dealing with policies and procedures that address when to call 911. I think this sounds silly. This like, oh, when to call 911. This sounds silly, but actually in an emergency situation, we're really poor at uh, understanding how and what to say to the emergency services. I've actually got an example call from uh, a care home to a fire service where she basically doesn't, she, she rings them up, she says, we've got a fire upstairs. Um, she says the name of the property and then she just puts the phone down. And even though the person on the other end of the phone is like, don't, 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 don't put the phone down. Um, we, we don't drill it well enough. We don't kind of, when in your fire drill, do you, do you practice the person who's responsible to ring the fire service? When do you, um, when do you drill that? You don't, do you? You just get them out, get people out, and then you pick on them. Maybe you grab Steve and you hide him in a cupboard because you think you're doing your, your cool job. Anyway, get off my soapbox again. Um, so I think that sounds silly, but actually I think developing some really good processes on clear things of what to tell the emergency services, what's a good time to ring, because sometimes people are thinking, oh, this is, this is not, it's not bad enough yet to ring the fire services or to ring the police service or whatever. Um, I think the police service have a role to play here. A couple of times I've rang the police service and just got a shit-ass response. Had a, I remember we went on a dog walk once and somebody had, um, somebody had, set like a fire but it was it wasn't a fire anymore it was like an ember it would look like someone was trying to start a fire but they purposely put like loads of big logs around it dug a hole made a fire and i was like fuck me if this goes and these logs eventually catch it would take fucking ages but if no one gets it it could get out, out of control it was middle of the summer it was dry as fuck and we rang the i was like it's not a fire service because they don't it's not really a proper it's not a fire it's embers and i, I put some mud on it to kind of dampen it down and, and put the, the embers out um, drown the embers or whatever. So I, thought, I called the police service, right? So I called the police service because um, it wasn't a fire. It was, it was like a public disorder issue. Uh, I don't want the fire service to send out a whole fucking truck 
because they don't need to send out a whole truck. So I rang them, I said, police. Well, actually, I, I said, this is my situation. I don't really know. I think it's police. It's more of a, it's more of a disorder. And the person just went, okay, police. And I was like, right, thanks for your fucking help. Got through into the police. And the woman was proper shitty. You've rang us for a fire. I said, no, it's not a fire. Somebody trying to start a fire and there's no one around. The fire is out, but it's not a fire. You don't need to send a, a, a fire appliance. Well, you've rang us for a fire. You need to ring the fire service. I said, fuck's sake. Rang the fire service. Big appliance. Com complete waste of time. And I was just like, for fuck's sake. Okay, so next one. Designing stores that feel safe. Stroud and Nelson write, stores can adjust their formats and furniture layouts, hours of operation, staffing, and other site-specific solutions like restroom, occupancy, sensors, new alarm system, lift at work, or... Oh, and then it goes on to a different, different bullet point. I, I, I really like this. I like that they thought of designing out um, risks. Uh, architecture can be a phenomenal way at, at um, managing public disorder, you know, reducing blind points, uh, reducing uh, areas where people can't can do shit without being seen. Um, all of that stuff. I think that's really good. Um, they give a couple of... If, I'll link the article and they give like a picture example of... Um, <laughs> they give a picture example, which I, I think is supposed to be like somebody nefarious. But he's got a massive smile on his face. <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> so yeah, I, I really like that. I think that was a really good point. And thank you, Starbucks, for, for not just focusing on the people, but actually focusing on redesigning your stores. Nice to see. Um, modifying operations when safety is no longer possible. I'm not really sure what that means. How do you define safe? How do you define what's no longer possible? Um, they said in here that includes closing a restroom, um, which is a reversal of the 2018 policy that made restrooms available to everybody. I think that's interesting. I think that might be controversial. Um, you know, so I've got to pay for a coffee now if I want to be a, want to just pop in for a wee. Um, I don't know. There's not enough public toilets around in England for, for us to, you know, just pop for a wee. I've got to pay for a toilet nowadays as well. So I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I feel like I'm not sure what problem they're trying to solve there. I couldn't, I tried to have a good think about it. I couldn't think of anything. Um, so I feel like there's a social value kind of um, complexity to that one. Might make it com com controversial. Uh, moving on, they said providing benefits to support workers, mental health, such as Lyra sessions uh, and headspace, paid sick time. You should fucking have that anyway. Uh, but, you know, whatever. And free counsellors at store following an event. Um, so I'll go, I'm going to work this in reverse. So following an event, they're going to have free counsellors. What defines an event? Uh, an event psychological impact on one person could be could be real simple for me and I'm just like ah it wasn't that much but for somebody else it could be really really damaging or really really hard to deal with so define event uh what else should I put headspace they're gonna uh, paid sick time I'm gonna move on from that so we don't get international political controversy um Headspace provided for uh, employees. Nice. I like that. I think, that's an, I think that's a really nice touch. I don't know what Lyra sessions are, uh, but Headspace, we use it. Uh, it. I'm getting better at it, but when I have used it, it seems to be helpful. Um, but I know a lot of people that have um, used it and seen mass benefits. So I like that they're, they're invested in a person. I like that they're doing beyond their stuff, beyond their hour of operation. I really like that. Uh, last one, providing sub benefits to support workers' emotional and financial safety, such as assistance with college tuition, fertility treatments, adoption, uh, access to abortions or, gen or gender-affirming procedures, uh, DACA fees, don't know what that is, and other benefits such as paid parental and catastrophic... And cat and Catastrophe pay. Fucking hell, that was easy for you to say. I really like... Um, I, I like the holistic view of this. I like the... We're going beyond our operational hours. Um, you know, many of the time we go, oh, if they're, if they're stressed at home, that's not my problem. We're not going to do anything to help that. So I really like that they're, they're going beyond this. They're trying to remove as much as they can, within reason, your emotional and financial stresses um, at home. 
Uh, so it's kind of, I feel like, like, like people might think, oh, that's just some fucking hippy dippy far left stuff, but it's not like more people will go to work at Starbucks for that reason alone, particularly in America. Um, and if you're doing that, they'll be less stressed because they're not worried about if they're paying the bills or not. So they'll be happy at work and happy employees do good fucking work. So, I mean, fucking hell. I just, I really like it, but I just get frustrated at people that don't like this stuff. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Kind of similar to that, I've highlighted another point here, the unprecedented cultural division and economic trauma that affects workplaces. I really like, this was from um, Kevin Johnson, uh, who, how is says the president of the following Kevin Johnson? Oh no, sorry, this is from Howard Schultz, who is the, repri who is reprising his role as CEO for the third time um, after Kevin Johnson retired. So this is from Howard Schultz. So he acknowledged unprecedented cultural division and economic trauma that affects workplace safety. Um, and, and I put in here, we need to be better understanding that stuff outside work is not separate from work, people. You might say, well, that's different for Starbucks because they are members of the public. But like stuff that affects people at home or affects people in their social environment impacts you at work, whether you like it or not. This whole LinkedIn, Facebook police, oh, that's personal, not professional. It's the same thing. People are personal and they can be professional. Get over your fucking self. Like, it's not different. Grow a pair. I don't know how many philosophers, thought leaders, academics, prominent people have to tell you this before you understand they're not different. People are people. If you employ people, they'll be affected by personal issues, which will affect how they perform at work. So if you help them with those, they'll do better at work. Boom. There's a couple of disappointing things on here that some employees were critical of the corporate decision to close, saying that they weren't consulted beforehand. Um, they said, we think it's not fair that we're not allowed to be part of this decision about our working conditions. There's a couple of things here. They said we're not allowed to be part of the decision. That makes me feel like they knew this was coming and they asked to be involved and asked to give their feedback. So, and they've been told no. So interesting that Starbucks are doing this because they've listened to staff, but then don't include staff in that process of the response how they're doing like this is a great example of how this is going to blow back in your face now um it also makes me think are people being paid when these stores shut i, I don't know it doesn't really touch on it in here but it makes me wonder hmm, you're shutting the stores are you paying them for when you shut those stores because you're the one that designed a store like that it's not their fault and um, so that was interesting and it doesn't mention that anywhere in here. It might mention it in the full letter, which, I, I, again, I haven't read. And then finally, it says, others were quick to point out that free locations slated to close. Um, slated to close? I think I should say stated just today. Others were quick to point out that free locations stated to close had voted to unionize or were in discussions to take a vote. Starbucks also closed its core in Ithaca, New York, due to operational problems just after just weeks after it voted to unionize, and that was from Fortune. Um, nice to see that unions still have a bit of clout around the world. Um, that's nice. I um I enjoyed that. I just, I just hope that that isn't actually their reason, but it does seem to look a bit like that. I hope that they've just gone, oh my God, they're unionised, we better do something for them, haven't we? Um, nice to see that unions are having an impact, um, but at the same time, let's hope that it's not just unions that are driving that change. Let's hope that they are listening to the staff, but there are a couple of things in there that make me think they might not be. So it's like two steps forward, one step back. We're like, oh, yay, oh, no, oh, yay, oh, no. And that's kind of how risk management, safety, being people-centred seems to feel a bit at the moment. Um, it's kind of like, oh, wow, look at this, a really nice story. And then you fucking you notarise it to get ready for the podcast. And by the end of it, you're just as fucking grumpy and sceptic as everything else. Anyway, I hope you got something out of that. Um, let me know what you think about this. It's a bit woolly today, but sorry, I was, we, we're probably we're going to cut it, but I'm not sure how much we're going to cut. But halfway through this, I had to go and have a bit of an emergency um, turning off of the filling of the pad and pool, um, which completely distracted me. Um, so it took me a while to get back into it. Anyway, hope you've enjoyed this episode. 
Uh, links to everything in the description below. So links to um, the two articles, we'll put them in the description below. Links to us as a company, Risk Fluent. If you need any support of anything, um, then come check us out. We can help you be a bit more people-centered. Uh, we can help you with fire safety, fire risk management, and anything. So two of the stories we've done today, we can help you be better at that as well, if you actually care about your people. Um, so if you get to check out the rebranded safety stuff on the website as well, riskfluentlimited.com, everything you need is there. Consultancy, rebranded safety, everything you need is there. You can still buy merch, still buy that. We've got some free downloads on there as well. Keep an eye on the website, there's more to come. Um, slow game, but, but we're getting there and there's more to come. Otherwise, thanks for listening. I'll catch you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson. Thank <laughs> you.